All right. Malachim Bet. Perek Bet. This promises to be a, uh, if not an enchanting evening, a, um, a magical evening. Simon and Chevy Chase. It's, the reason I wanted you to watch it is just to look at the figures. <coughs> one's very short, one's very tall. Their final road trip together. 
Vayomer Eliyahu Elisha, Shave Napo. Interestingly enough, we'll come back to this. This is one of the very few times that you hear Eliyahu speaking politely. I will point out, as you will see, and if you want to take some time looking through the first uh, eight or nine chapters of, uh, of Sefer Malachim Bet, Elisha almost never speaks without saying no. Who does that remind you of? This week's parsha, Avram Avinu, Yukat no Mayim. Who's his disciple? <coughs> Eliyahu, needless to say, rarely says no, but he does hear any in this final speech to Elisha. So this is a this is a student who's very cheeky. He's not interested in what his master says. His master says, I'm going this my own way. I'm doing this my way. No Frank Sinatra here. We've had enough for this tonight. Uh, but and and Alicia swears, I you know, I don't really care what you say, I'm not leaving your side. So the Bnei Nevi'im, whichever ones of them are left, as we'll get to also in a minute, uh, they all tell Elisha, do you know, this is Eliyahu's last night. He's going to be gone tomorrow. He's going to die. And uh, Elisha says to them, very politely, shut your flap. Now they've gone from Beit El, they're going to Yericho. I'll just say in passing that this is the reverse of Eliyahu's initial trip when he comes to comes into, into the, onto the map, uh, which we did a couple weeks ago. So they're, they're now reversing, they're going in reverse. And again, so Eliyahu says to him, uh, I'm going to Yericho, which we're going to talk about tonight. That's the main topic, of, one of the main topics of the evening. Um, and once again, Elisha says, I'm really not interested in leaving your side. It's not happening. I'm following you wherever you go. Now I'm going from Yericho to where? To the Yarden. What does the Yarden mean in Jewish history? In the olden days, that used to mean Aliyah. Crossing, <laughs> Crossing the Jordan. To train your <laughs> yeah. But the way the Moshe and, and the way Yoshua took the people, right? That was the first Aliyah. With all due respect to Aliyah. And once again, does that ring any bells for anybody? Uh -huh. Yeah, it's like an accident. Is this, is this an accident? There are no such things as Everybody else is paying attention. They're listening to what they are, and they're they're in the they're in the bleachers. They're back there, uh, you know, waiting around on the side, and the two men. Again, anybody who's had a bris, been to a bris, you, re you, might, you, you might remember that sentence. Uh, Eliyahu takes his cloak. You have a cloak, Anna? Yeah, a cloak. cloak. You have a cloak? You have a shawl? Yes. yes. This. Can I borrow this for a minute? We're going to use this for show and tell tonight. <laughs> this is this is the Adaris Eliyahu. Uh, okay. Oh, he got a nice one. Yes, he did. Good. <laughs> 
takes his shawl, he throws it on the Ardain River, and it splits. Just like... Just like Moshe. Except the Mate, right? The Mate Elohim, right? Which sometimes he shares with Aaron, that's another story. But here he takes it, and he just puts his shawl on the waters, and they split. It's going to happen again, so pay attention. Okay, we did that. Uh, water is going to be another big subject tonight. How are we going to cover all these big subjects between 745? That's going to be quite a trick. That's why. Uh, nobody else came, so that's good. Right? Also, they're walking on dry land. Now, here's this is this is the part that that we're going to come back to and really focus on in a moment. So, there's a final request that Eliyahu offers Elisha. He wants Kishnayim. We'll talk about what that might be. Okay? And they're going together. And and listen to this. The two of them are walking together. They're in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> These people, you know, Eliyahu is not exactly a big schmoozer. In case you haven't noticed, the two of them are deep in conversation. Vihine, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, those of you who know the word hine in other contexts, uh, we say in Tanakh, hine usually means ba'ato, hine oftentimes refers to a maizachuva, to repentance. Rechem, eish, besuse eish, vayafridu ben shneem. It takes a fire chariot, a fiery chariot from the heavens to separate the two of them in conversation. Vayal Eliyahu basaro hashamayim, the famous posuk, Eliyahu ascends to the heavens, right? In this, in this firestorm, right? Elisha Roeh. And Elisha suddenly lost his conversational, his conversation partner. There's a dangling conversation. Elisha Roeh. I just finished uh, Yudal. So, uh, what's just happened? Uh, two things have happened. Well, three things. One is Eliyahu is now disappeared. Um, his student, Elisha, has been thrown his cloak. And he, on his way back, uh, touches the Yardin with it. And now he says, where's the God of Eliyahu? The waters split. And, and now the unaccompanied Elisha walks back to the other side of the Yardin to the waiting, the waiting students who are now his students. And the phrase that is, you know, it's one of the greatest phrases, strongest, most dramatic phrases if it were an opera. You could hear, you know, some great tenor singing or maybe a really good baritone singing uh saying avi avi so wait a minute my father my father this is a father-son relationship these guys barely talk to each other 
and he considers him to be his his father. If nothing else, it suggests that they've got a very tight relationship, a very close relationship. And the question that we're asking is, what do we know about how this got formed? Why do we need this kind of bond between people? Perhaps with the exception of Moshe and Yehoshua, where else in Tanakh do we find that the Mesorah is handed over uh, in such a careful way between two people who have such a strong bond? Uh, you know, uh, you think about, you know, did Yeshayahu, do we hear the Tanakh talking about Yeshayahu and Yirmiyahu speaking? Do we hear Yonah speaking to Elisha? You know, do we hear any of the other, do, do we hear Eliyahu turns up out of seemingly nowhere. We don't even know anything about his parents. So, but apparently it's absolutely necessity to be able to have the two of them together. Why is that? So uh, we're going to start by going backwards, of course, uh, because that's what Tanakh teachers do. It's just the way to irritate their students, but also because everything goes together. And we're going to go to the 19th chapter of Malachim Aleph. And I'm going to read uh, some of it very briefly, and I'll summarize what's going on. This is the scene where um, Eliyahu uh, is running for his life. Sorry, what chapter? 19 in Malachi Malach. You don't know where this is going. So, uh, Eliyahu once again has run afoul of King Ahab. And Izebel, uh, who is the matron of the Be'olim, of the idols, uh, the idols uh, called the Baal, uh, has now put out a, 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 a death warrant on the life of Eliyahu. And Eliyahu runs away to Har Chorev. Uh, he goes to, to Har Sinai. And he's standing in the same place where Moshe stood. This is the key part in one of them. He, you, your people have broken the covenant. There's no more deal. They've broken the deal with God. That's very heavy-duty stuff. The wife of Ahab is killed out virtually all the, the B'nai HaNavim and the Nevi'im, V'yvaser Ani Levadi. Who does that sound like? V'yvaser Ani Levadi, V'yvaser Yaakov Levado. Except that Eliyahu is really all by himself. He's alone in the world. V'yvakshu es nafshi l'kachta. And they, you know, they want to, they want to, they want to take my life. And at the end of the story here, Eliyahu says to God, I want to die. Please take, please take me now. Why? Because uh, again about that. And then God says to him, no, no, no. I'm not going to take your life. There's something else I want you to do. And he gives him three missions, one of which uh, he actually does, which is to go, and I'm going to now uh, 19 in 19. God tells him one of the three things he wants him to do is he wants him to anoint a successor. So listen to the first meeting and the first encounter uh, between Eliyahu Navi and Elisha through the lens that I mentioned earlier. These people have very little in common. 
So it's supposed to Eliyahu, we don't even know who his father is. We know that he's, he comes from, he's, he's a Tishbi, he's a Giladi. This is Elisha ben Shafat, the man has a, has a father. So Elisha, uh, at the first encounter, is working the family farm. And, and Eliyahu, does Eliyahu speak to him? He says nothing to him. He takes the shawl, he throws it on, on, on him, he says, Presto, do something. Put this. So, the, no words. By, by, so, Elisha by, leaves the, 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 uh, the, the, the plow animals. And he's running after him and he's screaming. Hello, I have a mother, I have a father, right? You know, let me go kiss them, say goodbye to them, and I'll follow you. So the says to him, and now they're off. So the point of this is uh, that these are really, really bad times. They're so bad that Eliyahu's job basically as a Navi is done. His remaining things are two missions that he's not going to carry out. The one he does is to appoint Elisha. So what's what's really the backdrop? What's what's happened? Well, there are a couple things that have happened. First and foremost, Ezebel has killed off everybody because he says, it's just me, I'm alone in the world. The, my mission is, is failed. The bris is, is done. And in fact, the Gemara in Shabbos says, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that Chazal thought, it's, it's a Gemara in Shabbos says, that the, uh, the schusavos, uh, one of the privileges that we get because of our connection to Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, ended. That deal was over when, there are couple, the Gemara considers a couple of possibilities, one of them is during this very time period. So what we see here is Eliyahu uh, needing Elisha to be able to hold what's ever left, and he can't do anything anymore. He's really powerless. So, the times necessitate the times necessitate a very strong bond for this to happen. So I mentioned earlier, now I want to just talk about the personalities of these two people and what we know about them. <coughs> so uh, the, pu- <laughs> the Pusik that I, I, I paraphrased before, it's worth reading because it's just so gorgeous. So uh, King Ahaziah, the ninth king of Israel, is dying. And he's consulted the oracle of the Baal Zavuv. That tells you how bad things are. The king of Israel wants to know whether he's going to survive. We have this scenario where kings are wanting to know whether they're going to survive from, the, from an illness. And he's consulting the oracle of the, of the Gechka, of the, of the, of the Baal Zavuv, of this uh, flying uh, uh, insect thing. And uh, so he, his messenger is out on the road there, and he sees this, this man coming down the road the other way. 
And so King Ahaziah says, says to him, oh, who did you see? He says, Vayomer Elav, Ish Bal Seyar, man with the long hair, Vezor Or, Azor Bimotnav, he's got a big uh, sash that's made out of leather. Uh, and the king says, Vayomer Elav, Ish that's only one person that can do. I mean, there are a lot of Jews hanging around, but this guy, okay. Elisha is is the uh, is the person who is is bald. Uh, when, after the scene that we left earlier, when he crosses the Jordan and he's having a couple of adventures that we'll get to in a moment, uh, you know, uh, a bunch of uh, people come out of out of the city of Yericho and uh, they see him coming and they say, "Alei kereach, alei kereach, get out of here, bald guy." So th- these guys don't rep- don't look any like each other, as we been very painstakingly pointing out uh, all the weeks before, Eliyahu virtually says nothing. Here's this man, Elisha, who says please, who wants to, and, and says no nah, over and over and over again until their final meeting is, is we just uh, looked at. And... The Ben Cole, excuse me. So what does the Ben Cole want this week? Das ist Bekera Rebbe und Atalmid. Was nimmt ihr an, als sie haben gewähnt, anders und eins von zweiten? Right? I wrote this. I should be able to read it, right? Noch einmal. Das ist Bekera Rebbe und Atalmid. Was nimmt ihr an, an, as these haben gewesen, andersche, eins von Satan. Why do we care? Eins von Satan, eins von Satan. Why do we care that they're so different? At the end of the day, it's a Rebbe and a Talmud. What's the big deal? Well, but they couldn't be more different. You can't, you can't get away from that. That's a very strange, you know, unless you're a, a, a strong believer in opposite. <laughs> the magic here, but this is not a shidduch. It's a shidduch made in heaven. Only God understands what these people are doing together. But this, again, if you look back in, in, in Jewish history, it's very hard to find a precedent, except maybe for um, uh, Moshe and Yoshua. But even there, God says to Moshe, Moshe is the one who's asking, says, I need to appoint somebody. And God says, appoint him. Here, you know, uh, God is, you know, uh, speaks to Eliyahu that he needs a successor. And Eliyahu, as far as he's concerned, he's going down with the ship. There are no survivors. Uh, and God basically imposes this on him. The other big difference and this, and a point of commonality between Elisha and Eliyahu, are you okay, Sidney? Yeah. yeah. Is that what Elisha is famous for, which sets him apart from almost every other Navi that we that we know, with some slight variations, he is the major miracle worker. Now you can find all different versions about how many miracles did Elisha really perform. Uh, the standard, uh, or, or the, the number that most people seem to be happy with, is somewhere around 15. It goes as high as 30. Uh, it goes with the saying, you know, you count all the miracles that Moshe Rabbeinu did, you count the miracles that, Eli, that Eliyahu, his Rebbe, did, it doesn't come anywhere near to this. The man, plain, Pashat, does miracles, and he does very peculiar miracles. What kind of miracles? Salt water and damsels in distress so what am i talking about so one of the miracles we already saw he takes the cloak i won't throw it on you again no. 
So in other words, the area where Elisha goes after he takes leave of, of Eliyahu is he goes right for the heart of idolatry, and, and that's where he attacks the spiritual problem because if, he, if he's going to really fulfill the mission that Eliyahu gave him, which is to fight back against the, the Baal, this is the place that you go, and he succeeds. The story I wanted to tell you, just because it's a wonderful story, and it does have to do with Chris's bris and, and, and restoring the bris, uh, is the Rebbe Riyatz of Lubavitch uh, did something incredible. It was uh, pre-war, uh, it was during the, the height of the oppression of Jews. I mean, how many times can you say that in Russian Jewish history? But the Jewish community in Russia was under terrible constraints now from the socialists um, and uh, the Bolsheviks. And uh, he, he's terrified uh, that there are not going to be any more mikvos, there are not going to be any bris mila, bris again. And what he does is he assembles nine other Jews into his study. And he says to them, we are going to have, and if you ask Chabadnik, the ones who really know Chabad, this is the, the foundational story of Chabad. He sat them down and he said to them, we are going to make a, a, a breed, a life and death contract. We are, each of us and every one of us going to commit right here in my study that no matter what it takes, we're willing to give up our lives to protect the mikvahs, to protect uh, uh, Shabbos, and to protect Brismila. And only one family other than Rebbe himself survived. All the others died on the Shashem. So when you think about the impact of what it means to make a bris in Jewish history, this, to the extent that there's anything to be, any foundation for that, the relationship between Eliyahu and Elisha is really uh, trying to re repair and rebuild the bris that Eliyahu is saying Kal Yisrael have left, and he's using salt and using water, and now he's got damsels in distress. So why do you need damsels in distress? This is, goodness sakes, this is Shirin Tanakh, it's not a Hollywood movie. Why do we need damsels in distress? So let's think about the damsels in distress and what's going on. We have two. We have the wife of Ovadia, right, whose son right, or sons, are going to be settled into slavery, i.e. her family's future is over, unless there's some intervention. And the section, second, and the most famous, of course, is the woman of Shunama, of the Shunamite woman, right, Isha Shunamit, right, mm -hmm. who has no children. And there again, and in, in, in one of the most, you know, if, if you're looking for the quintessential Elisha moment, I mean, it's one of the most gorgeous moments in my mind, it's not uh, I, have, I have a bias because it reminds me of stories that I told about my grandfather not for now. Uh, but um, the woman has no children. The woman builds a, a room addition in common terms, right? Modern terms. Just for Alicia who happens to come by now and then. Um, she, he asks her, what can I do for you? Do you need for me to talk to the king? No, I don't need anything. His servant, Gehazi, says to him, no, the woman is, is barren. She has no children. And... Uh, Alicia gives her a, a blessing. She has a child. Child grows up, goes out to the field with the father, drops dead. So, you know, she brings the kid back to the house, uh, locks him in the room, puts him in the bed, gets, gets, uh, asks her husband to saddle her donkey. Husband, apparently, like many husbands, has no idea what's going on, apparently. I'm not sure if he actually knew what it was one of my questions I didn't have an answer for. Uh, did he even know that the kid died? I don't know. He knew that the kid was sick. That being said, she rushes off to Har Carmel. Uh, she rushes in. She's ushered into Elisha's presence, and she dies for his feet and grabs his feet. 
So Gekhazi, being a Fromach, yeah, says, Nagiyah. You know, get out of here. You know, what are you doing? He, and, he, and he moves to Shevard. And then comes those gorgeous words from, El, from Elisha. He says, Harpela. Harpela. Give the woman a break. Take it easy. Slow down. This, it, when you think about, if you think about just the word no is there again. No, this is before na na nachman. Elisha is the na na novi. Everything is na na na. Please, he's he's the kindest, he's the sweetest human being, and he's all is opposed to Eliyahu and opposed to Moshe Rabbeinu and opposed to anybody else. Whoever and, and certainly you know the, the, if you contrast it to Tar Carmel, the, this miracles he does are in private. They're behind closed doors. They're with the the, the damsels of distress. There with the B'nai Hanavim, it's all, nobody's watching what he's doing, except for the people who are involved. This is the most kind, the most tender human being who opens his heart, uh, you know, to people who, what are they going to do for him? What's the big advantage? What does this say? It says that if you ask us, if you ask the Tanakh that we're learning in this parak, what was Elisha's strategy if he had one? about how he was going to re-consummate the priests, how he was going to bring uh, the Jewish people closer to Kodesh Baruch Hu, he had a completely different idea than Eliyahu. He was not going to stand there screaming Kanokineti. He was not going to be rebuking this king and that king as much as he was going to be working. He was a grassroots worker. He was a Sololinsky. He was working with the common, simple person, everybody who was in distress, and he believed and he put his life on the line that if he could help these these small uh, instances, these these people who are in the toughest situations, that that's how he could rebuild Klal Yisrael. And that's how he could rebuild the Bris. And it worked to some extent, the extent that it was going to. So, uh, I w- before we, we've got two more steps before we wrap it up. Um, the last, the last journey, so we talked about the cloak. Uh, you're all, I'm among friends here. The spookiest thing happened to me on Shabbos. I'm asking myself, so this cloak, how do I present the cloak? And what does the cloak mean? Do I know anything about the cloak? I don't really know anything about the cloak, except, you know, everyone, you know, if you're a prophet, you're supposed to have a cloak. Uh, and I, I take my Shabbos nap. And I, I, I sit back in my seat, and I look at some of this farm around my, my chair, that are, books that this farm I look at, you know, all through Shabbos. One of them is the Rikanadi. Rikanadi, uh, he's uh, Menachem ben Benyamin Rikanadi, uh, 1250 to 1310. He's a big Makubal. And uh, I'm looking I'm looking in, in, in our Pasha, in Vayera, and he's got a whole essay on clothes. So this is not my share. Somebody else is giving me a share. And he's and, and he says so he, he quotes a Pasuk in Yeshayahu, Vikove Hashem Yachlifu Koach, and he makes reference to that. Uh, what's Yachlifu? What does it mean that they change they rechange strength? Well they rechange clothes. They rechange clothes, what does that mean? So he has an entire essay on how it's not that the man the clothes make the man, it's the man who makes the clothes. And in this case, what the Rikanadi says is really spooky. He says that, you know, our neshamas and our, our lives are really just like a cloak that we wear. And in Shemayim, they talk about how well we wore our cloaks. So now, look at the, through that lens offered by the Rikanadi, 
about what it means for Elisha to take his cloak, uh, for Eliyahu to take his cloak and throw it to Elisha. It's not just that he's transferring, you know, the ownership or the mantle, the staff of leadership. He's saying whatever my neshama didn't complete, take the cloak, wear it, do with it what I wasn't able, grow, grow the hair that I was through my hair couldn't couldn't do, make you know, make it happen. And then there's the last part that I wanted to get to, which is this, which is uh, a fascinating Yerushalmi, uh, which I'll read to you, uh, because part of what we need to wonder about are really two questions as we finish. Uh, the one is, now if I can remember the two questions, keep them straight, that would be good. Uh, the one is, what were they talking about? You know, I said earlier that, that there's this dangling conversation. What were they talking about? I mean, they don't talk very much. You know, Eliyahu is ordering about. He's throwing things at him. You know, he's pointing him this way, that way. Um, and except, except in this final conversation, what were they really talking about? So listen to this Yushalmi. I remember the other question. This is a Yushalmi in the fifth parak of Brachas. So the, the Yushalmi begins with, uh, with, with, with that uh, verse about the two of them are, are walking together. Holchim halok. The context of this is, is uh, having proper kavanas and davening and standing properly when you daven. That's the larger context. And there, you see here the Gemara is talking about how people are supposed to, when they when you say goodbye to a friend, how you, what are you you're supposed to be, uh, how are you supposed to address it, supposed to be talking Torah, etc. So they want to know. So it's well, you know. They follow the halacha, at least the Yerushalmi sees it that way, and they must have been talking something about Torah. So what were they talking about? We have four possibilities. It's fascinating. One, Kriyashma. Rabacha Barzira says Kriyashma. Number one, Kriyashma. Rabbi Yudah ben Pazi, Briyasa Olam, how the world was created. Number three, Nechamos, in plural of Yerushalayim. And the fourth possibility is Masa Merkava. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I can do some magic here and put all of those together into one neat package. The first two, no question. If you're talking about Kriyashma and you're talking about uh, Briyas Olam, that all points to the, that, that there's one God there, you know, and they're strengthening monotheism in that respect. Nechamos Yushalayim is about hope, about faith, that things are going to hang together. There's going to be a good ending somehow. Uh, you have to leave your Talmud with some hope because Eliyahu was ready to commit the spiritual suicide here. And Maisa Merkava, you know, is about the mysteries of God. Go figure why the Jews are going to Baal Zvuv instead of going to Eliyahu or, or to Elisha. What's going on? God knows. God knows it's up in the Shemaim, the same firestorm that separated. And here's the thing I want to leave you with. So I'm going to ask you right now. Everything we've said in this year, if you want to wait for somebody to tell you that the Mashiach is coming, if you want somebody to help the Jewish people out now, who do you want? Do you want Elisha or do you want Eliyahu? Yeah. I'm telling you, we need Eliyahu. I'm ready to go sing Elisha Hanavi. I, you know, it's like, who wouldn't want to be around this man? He's so kind. He's so, he's so pleasant. He's so empathic, he's so caring, and here's this other person who is absolutely as tough as nails. So who are we waiting for? Why are we waiting for? That's an amazing question. I don't have an answer to that. 
other than the theme that we presented in this year. There's a partnership. There's a bond. There's this cloak. There's this connection with, just like this between Avram and Yitzchak, who couldn't be more different, different in terms of their midos. These are two people who spiritually, you can't put them in the same sentence. But God Almighty put those two people together, and in one of the most critical, difficult times in the generation, when there was no more Skusavos, no more Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, you can doubt them for and hope for with the same guarantee. He put these two amazingly opposite characters together, and he says, it's in this strange marriage between these two, the, the bald man and the hairy man, he puts it in their hands, and he, and, he, and he puts that cloak between them at the River Jordan, and he says, it's going to work out. Well, how it's going to work out, we'll continue, we'll see. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, yeah.